0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Danielle Lincoln-Hanna, author of the Mailboat Suspense series. The latest book in the series is The Shift in the Wind. Danielle, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your latest novel, The Shift in the Wind, how would you describe the novel? And also, how would you describe the Mailboat Suspense series?
1: I would describe the latest novel, book four, as a continuation of um, a story that is taking several books to tell. So I always tell people, if you are interested in the Mailboat Suspense series, you definitely want to start with book one. Um, The books are written to be read in order, and it's just a tale that was too grand to tell in a single volume. So it kind of just keeps going. So it's the story of a, a teen girl in foster care. Um, All she really wants is just to finally get a family of her own. And instead, she finds a body at the end of somebody's uh, boat pier, and it pretty much changes the course of her entire life going there, there on out.
0: Great. And in case someone doesn't know, um, I guess we should back up a moment. Can you tell us about kind of the mail boat?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's It's a fictional series based off a real place and a real boat. The setting is Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is just north of Chicago. If, if you're from Chicago, you've probably heard of it. It's a very popular uh, tourist weekend getaway. Um, and they have this boat there that delivers the mail house to house. They hire kids that have to jump off the boat onto the dock, run up to the mailbox that's, that's on the dock, put the mail in, turn around, run back. Uh, the boat is so big, it doesn't stop. It would take way too long to get all the mail delivered. So, these kids have got to be fast. And if they don't time everything just right, they might end up in the lake, which is always a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and does that really happen?
1: Oh, I've seen it happen. It's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you live around there or did you grow up um, around there? How, how did you know about the mail boat in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin?
1: You know, I've been, I, I feel extremely honored that I've been uh, accused many times of having grown up in Lake Geneva and having been a mail jumper. And the truth is that I, I love writing about unique things, and I love travel. Um, I am originally from North Dakota. I currently live in western Montana. <laughs> and I I heard about this boat out in this little tourist town, and I was completely riveted. It was that that unique, one-of-a-kind sort of thing that I absolutely love. And I I just started spinning a story around it. And so I've been there many times now. Um I try to go back every summer for research and book signing tours every, every time I release a book. And it's definitely become a second home to me and I I love being there. I've got so many great friends there now. It's wonderful. And I I'm so honored by how the local community has really embraced the series. Um as a reader, I hate it when when authors get it wrong, you know, if they're writing about something that I know about and I can tell that they don't actually know about it, you know. <laughs> So I, I feel really, really honored that the local community is like, "Oh, you got this right. You you've portrayed our town just the way it is." So that's a wonderful thing for me.
0: And I'm curious. I mean, given that you've written about this, I'm assuming that you've read the history. Uh, how did this idea of a mailboat that doesn't stop and people run up on the dock? How, how did that come about? Do you know?
1: Yes, I do know. It's it's a really fascinating history. So. Lake Geneva's ties are are very much related to Chicago and Chicago history and especially uh the Great Chicago Fire in I think it was 1871. Um before that there had been a little bit of interest of people going up there and having like summer camps or or getaways things like that and then the Chicago Fire hit and a lot of these like business barons from the city had nowhere to go except their lake place so up they went. And that really Created a boom for Geneva Lake. Uh, And as more and more development happened, there were no roads yet. It was still very undeveloped. Uh, The ground around the lake is very marshy, so it's not the best place for road building. So all travel happened via boat. And it used to be that um, you'd have to take your boat into town to pick up your mail. And they were like, you know, it would be great if we just had a boat that came to us and just delivered the mail around the lake. And so The first official mailboat was in, or I'm forgetting, I want to say 1916. Uh, We recently passed the 100-year anniversary of marine mail delivery on Lake Geneva. So it's been going for a while.
0: That's interesting. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Shift in the Wind?
1: Oh, so The Shift in the Wind specifically, and I I only just kind of realized this um, not long ago, so I, I've got a kind of a grand scheme for the entire series, and I know, largely speaking, where everything goes. But there's 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 still wiggle room to learn things and discover things along the way. And it suddenly dawned on me that kind of some of the biggest events in The Shift of the Wind, and that's uh, a character who gets reintroduced from book one and a suspect who we kind of realize, oh, maybe this is the, the mastermind behind it all. Both of these ideas actually were fan suggestions. Both of these ideas were were a fan writing to me and saying, I want to know more about this character, or I think this is the person behind it all. And I was like, that's a really good point. And so, yeah, I recently realized, looking back, that my fans largely created book four in this series.
0: <laughs> that's great. Well, what was your own writing journey that led you to writing your first novel?
1: Oh, man. So I... Came as close as I think it is possible to be born with a pen in your hand. I learned how to read and write when I was four because I was jealous of my older brother. <laughs> um, I started writing stories immediately and I was working on my first novel when I was seven years old. And that's when I decided I was going to be an author when I grew up. Oh. Yeah. So this is what happens when you decide your career at the age of seven, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And and what was your what what led you to writing your first novel?
1: Oh man, I mean, are we counting? Well, I mean, not the one one, at seven.
0: (laughs) Not the not the one at seven. Let's say let's say you know a a later novel that you tried to get published or that you published yourself.
1: Yeah, let's talk about first published novel, which is Mailboat Book One: The End of the Pier. Um, and that one was just very much. I I heard. I like I was I was flipping channels on TV one day. I was kind of bored out of my wits on that day and looking for something truly inspiring that somebody else had come up with or what have you. I was just flipping channels. And this was back when I was living in North Dakota. And we get um, Minnesota Public Television there. um, And Minnesota Public Television also carries some channels from Wisconsin Public Television. And that's how I ended up seeing this story about the Lake Geneva mailboat. They had like this 10-minute segment that I just was completely... Uh, mesmerized by I couldn't I couldn't turn the channel away and I just watched these kids jumping the mail and heard them talking about the boat and the history of the boat and how the whole thing works and this really charming lakeside community it's it's um it's a very um elevated location it's very you know kind of classy but also very relaxed it's it's just a beautiful beautiful place and I was just drawn to the whole thing And as soon as that segment was done, I shut off the TV and walked away and immediately had this story starting to knock around in my head. And being, you know, someone who likes writing mystery and suspense, my first question was, obviously, where am I going to put the body? And I was like, well, of course, the mail jumper is going to fall in and there's going to be a body there at the end of somebody's pier. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, well, what's your writing process when you're working on a novel? Do you outline the novel extensively and also given that you're writing a series are you plotting kind of the arc of multiple books
1: right so what i do i kind of consider myself a hybrid author i'm part plotter part pantser meaning see to the pants writer um so like i i overall know both where a book is going and where the general series is going and specifically for the series i have this one thread of this relationship between the two main characters that really guides my writing and everything else is built around that and kind of exists to support that and move that main plot line forward so that gives me a nice sort of path to follow that keeps me focused and not wandering off someplace that's not going to be useful to the entire story Um, but other than that like I said there's plenty of wiggle room where I can uh, discover other things um, I'm very much I love writing about an ensemble cast. There's multiple points of view in this series. So I love just following all it's just everyone's experience. And I'm like, you're a fascinating person. I really need to write some points of view with you and kind of see what your story is.
0: Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels?
1: I I would say that I tailor it depending on where they're at in the process. Um, you know, I, I meet I, do, I love doing um, events and, and meeting people. And so I meet a lot of people who are like, oh, I've always wanted to write a novel. And for those people, I always tell them, well, then sit down and write it. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> step. Just grab uh, your, your computer or a sheet of paper or just whatever works for you, an audio recording device. I don't care. Just start getting the words down. And they always look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, that's literally the first step. <laughs> so and 90% of people never make it past that. Um, you know, but if it's somebody who is maybe they're already writing, uh, maybe they're working on their first novel, then I'm like, then the next obvious thing is just finish it. Because, again, 90 percent of people who sit down to write a novel will never finish it. So I, I think the the biggest thing when it comes to writing, no matter what stage you're at, is just the persistence, because it takes a lot of persistence, dedication, um, figuring out how to make yourself show up and do the work. And just getting all those words down on the page one after the other. And once they're there, once you have words on the page, then we can start talking about how to make them good. How to make it an experience that doesn't speak to um, your brain patterns alone, but can actually effectively communicate uh, a really good entertaining story to other people and the way their brains work, so on and so forth. But persistence, I think, is the bottom line of all of it.
0: Sure. Are you working on a new novel now?
1: Yes, I am. As soon as um, Mailboat 4 released this past summer, um, I knew that it was dead to me and all my fans because all they want is book five now. (laughs) (laughs) I have figured out the drill and how this works. So as soon as one book's done, they, they require the next one of me. So I am currently hard at work on Mailboat book five. I don't have a title settled for it yet, but that one should be out next year.
0: That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed?
1: Ooh, so I am someone who reads a lot of different genres. Um, I, I love writing suspense, but I love reading a lot of different things. So the the series that I'm working through right now is actually um, The Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson, mm-hmm. which is, uh, he's a major name in fantasy writing. Um, and the thing that I'm really enjoying about it is that he, too, writes about these ensemble casts. And so even though it's a completely different genre, I feel like I am, I'm learning some things from him that are we have similarities in how we approach storytelling. So I'm really, really enjoying reading his books right now.
0: That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and the Mailboat Suspense series?
1: Yeah, so my website's a good place to start. Uh, it is daniellelincolnhanna.com. Hannah is spelled H-A-N-N-A. And uh, just FYI for all of your listeners today, I actually, um, I've got a free ebook copy of the first book in the series that's Mailboat: the end of the pier. And if anybody wants to grab that, that would be daniellelincolnhanna.com forward slash reading and writing. And you can go get a free book there.
0: That's great. So check out that link. And um, again, we've been speaking with Danielle Lincoln-Hanna, author of the Mailboat Suspense series. The latest book in the series is The Shift in the Wind*. The books are on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Danielle, thanks for doing this interview.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great. Now stay tuned for a brief audio excerpt from the first book in the Mailboat Suspense series written by Danielle Lincoln-Hanna.
2: Mailboat, The End of the Pier, by Danielle Lincoln Hanna Prologue There were no sunrises on earth so damn heart-wrenching as those over Geneva Lake. Will Reed shifted from one foot to the other on the end of the Fontana Municipal Pier. It had rained last night, and the puddle stretching across the white-painted board splashed on his black oxfords as he paced. Grinding his teeth and pacing relieved the twisting sensation in his gut. A little. He pulled his hand out of his back pocket, letting the hem of his suit jacket fall, and checked his watch for the 20th time. 5.02 a.m. Only two minutes late, but every second dragged like an hour. He shouldn't be lingering like this. He should be on the road for Chicago and his plane for L.A. He couldn't get out of town a moment too soon even though it wrenched his heart to leave. He was never going to see a Geneva Lake sunrise again. The deep rose hues of the rising sun broke through the air like stained glass and scattered its shards over the water. The lake was as calm as the stone floor of a cathedral, broken only now and again by a soft glugging, as a small wave like a child at prayer washed against the boats in the bay. The air was spiced with the incense of millions of good, clean raindrops, lingering from the night before. Will breathed deep, tilting his head back and closing his eyes. Peace, like a hymn, finally found him, if only for a moment. He imagined bringing Angelica and the boys here, showing them the places he'd known as a child, bringing them back every summer, like his parents had done, carrying on the tradition. He flinched and forced the daydream aside. Geneva Lake was dead to him. He laid it on the altar and sacrificed it himself. A hum broke the morning silence as a lone powerboat pushed up a dimple on the surface of the lake. The boat grew larger until Will could make out a bald-headed man behind the wheel, his tanned face as empty and expressionless as a bishop. He maneuvered the boat next to the pier. Will drew a deep breath and stepped in, offering his driver a nod of greeting, which wasn't returned. Instead, the man pulled back from the pier and pointed the craft's nose towards the east end of the lake, into the sunrise. Will already knew that any attempt at conversation with this man would result in a monotoned yes or no, so he simply settled back for a silent trip across the length of the lake. Silence was better anyway. He could drink in the wooded shoreline one last time. The manicured lawns and tree groves slowly passed his view. Pristine white piers. Million-dollar mansions. Pricey weekend getaways for business magnets from Chicago. He'd spent his boyhood summers in one of these. He'd run through it barefoot and sandy-toed. That's what you did if you had money and lived on Geneva Lake. You just ran around, barefoot, and sandy-toed. A for-sale sign caught his eye. He sized the house up and guessed its value. He could buy one of those homes. Except that his life as a free man depended on never being seen in this place again. The city of Lake Geneva appeared on the horizon, marked by the historic Riviera. Will choked up at the sight. It was the centerpiece of the town, a castle-like structure sporting two shades of brown brick and arched breezeways under square corner towers, the pitched roof covered an elegant ballroom built in the swing era, and the ground level was full of little shops vending beach food and souvenirs. When was the last time he'd bought an ice cream cone there? He couldn't remember. He had an urge to buy one now. The boat's driver veered to the right, the south shore, and slowed as the Markham Estate came into view through the trees. Will couldn't help but smile. His best friend had lived here so many years ago. They'd run barefoot and sandy toed together through the halls. Never mind, the halls were marble. A man stood on the end of the pier with his feet planted and his arms crossed. A good six-two, he was muscled like an ox. He wore a silver-studded black leather vest over a white shirt with the sleeves ripped off, revealing brawny arms covered in tattoos. Such a creature standing on the border of the Markham Estate was so incongruous, it set Will on edge. He glanced at his companion for an explanation, but couldn't find a shadow of change in the man's face. Instead, the imperturbable driver maintained a steady course for the pier. The stranger on the pier watched the boat come in, and dropped his arms to his sides, flexing his right fist, once. Will turned to the driver. New gardener? He didn't even acknowledge the question. An acrid concoction of anger and fear mixed in Will's stomach. Who is that man? The driver rotated his head slowly, looked him in the eye. He paused a beat before a stiff smile cracked the corners of his mouth. Perhaps the expression was meant to be reassuring. New gardener, he said. Something wasn't right. The last time Will had felt this way was when he and his two nearest friends had broken into a bank and triggered a barrage of police gunfire. Cold reality hit him and sucked the air out of his lungs. This was a trap. He scanned the leather-clad hip man, saw the butt of the gun protruding from his belt, not quite concealed under the open vest. If he could get past that brute, up the pier, get onto the lakeshore path, he could... Run to a neighbor's house, rouse them out of bed, get them to call... Call the police? He'd figure that part out later. The driver shifted the boat into reverse to slow down as they came within bumping distance of the pier. Tattoos still had him pulled his gun. There was a chance if Will played like he didn't know the man's intentions. Will rose from his seat casually, even smiled and nodded at the gardener. Morning! Tattoos nodded back. Morning. He spoke with a thick Chicago accent. He flexed his hand again. Will stepped onto the pier, watching tattoos out of the corner of his eye. Should he make a break for it now? Like a flash, tattoos went for his gun, aimed it at Will's head. Point-blank range. Will jerked to the side just as the bullet went off. It echoed back and forth across the lake, sucking him back in time to the fireworks displays of his youth. Boom, 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 boom. Will grabbed the barrel of the gun in one hand, chopped Tattoo's wrist with the other, twisted, forcing the gun back on its owner. Funny, the man who was now chief of police had taught Will and his friends this maneuver when they were boys. The way Will held the man's wrist had to hurt like heck. The way the gun was pointed back on its owner had to be scarier than heck. The man's mouth fell open and his hand loosened. Will slid it out of his grip And dropped it. It hit the pier with a thud. Will thought he heard Bobby and Jason laughing at him, Wade telling him, That's all right, son. Try again. But there was no trying again this time. This time was real. Tattoos threw him a punch to the gut. Will doubled and staggered backwards. With a roar, Tattoos grabbed him by the shoulders and threw his weight against him, forcing him off balance. Will sidestepped hoping to let the man's own force carry him down. For an instant, it seemed like it would work. Will saw himself running for the path. A fist grabbed a handful of his shirt. Will's foot snagged in a coil of rope. Suddenly, they were both going down. They splashed into the lake together. Will held ferociously to the lungful of air he'd managed to grab. His nemesis thrashed aimlessly in the water like a slow, fat dog. This was Will's chance to get away. He squirmed towards the surface. A popping sensation broke through the skin on his left side. Shooting pain forced bubbles of air out of his mouth with a queasy, stinging sensation. He felt a long piece of metal slide back out of his body. Tattoos drew his arm back for another stab. Will thrust backwards and upwards through the water, dodging the blow. He broke the surface, shook the water out of his eyes, and gasped for air. Where was the ladder? The ladder up the side of the pier, where was it? He caught a glimpse of the driver, sitting behind the boat's wheel, twisted in his seat to watch what was happening. Help me, Will yelled. The man's face remained expressionless. With a mighty splash, the surface broke behind Will. There was a growl and a massive weight bore down on his shoulders, plunging him into the lake again. He didn't have enough oxygen to fuel any kind of reaction. The little he had was seeping into the lake along with his blood supply. This was it. Game over. No. You're going home. This guy's going to be the floater. Will twisted to face his opponent and grabbed for the weapon as it came in for the kill. It sliced into his fingers as he gripped the blade, but he ignored the pain. He repeated the same maneuver as before, and the man fell prey to the wrenching pain a second time. The knife tumbled out of his grasp. Will opted to let go of the man and make for the knife as it fell in slow motion. Tattoos reached a hand out to his throat, pinching his jugular so the blood pounded in his temples. Will caught the knife in its free fall and swung it towards Tattoos' ribcage. Tattoos let go and ducked back, curling both his arms in front of his body. The knife connected with something, but not internal organs. Will may have just added a scar to his art. It didn't matter, he was free. Every cell in his body was screaming for oxygen and the water was swirling red around him. He lunged for the surface. Something twined around his feet. The rope! The damn rope! He tried to kick it off. Instead, it yanked back at him, as if he were a fish and it were the line. Next, a hand grabbed his ankle, then his shin. Black dots speckled his vision. A vision of lake weed and greenish water and a man with bulging arms and straining neck muscles. A reflex kept demanding that Will breathe, and the pain from the stab wound finally hit full force, nearly paralyzing him. Will swung the knife, but only ripped the water. Tattoos maneuvered behind him, threw a loop of rope over his head, yanked him backwards. His back collided with the pier post. The impact was enough to knock the wind out of him and trigger a big, deep breath. He instantly regretted it. The rope tightened across his throat. Stiff nylon fibers dug into his neck. Slick algae caressed the back of his head. His jugular veins strained to push blood up into his skull. Boys' voices echoed through his head. Fritz. Fritz, come play with us. Fritz? That was his name once. Many years ago. Fritz. The boy who spent his summers in Lake Geneva. Fritz of the 4th of July fireworks displays. Fritz of the bare feet and sandy toes. His windpipe snapped. And the lights went out. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.